Welcome to the Pastor's Roundtable Podcast, a podcast where we pull apart and deconstruct the habits, routines, and tactics of the great men and women of faith. Drastically changed my life. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Here is your host, Ryan Latham. Welcome to episode 59 of the Pastors Roundtable. I'm so thankful that you've chosen this podcast. I know there's tons to choose from, so thank you for choosing this one. If you're like me, you're probably on a treadmill or maybe driving along in your car. But hey, if you're not, would you take a moment and just like, share, subscribe so we can help get these conversations out to more people? Today, my conversation is with Tom Hamill about his new book, Living the Life You Were Meant to Lead. Great principles for today's leadership world. He's going to talk about overcoming drugs, alcohol, growing up in a family that didn't go to church, and eventually becoming a pastor and a national leader. So I want to encourage you to jump over to our Renewed Leadership Facebook page or YouTube channel for daily tips and tools videos every day providing a five to ten minute video with new tips tools to help encourage you in your ministry growth and one of those tools is a free visual download of will mancini's seven laws of real church growth he breaks down all the seven laws gives great information and application points you can download that today for free at renewedleadership.org slash future church. That's renewedleadership.org slash future church. Go download it, apply it. It's great stuff. Well, hey, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Tom Hamill. Well, hey, Tom, thanks for jumping on to the podcast with us. Excited to talk to you about uh, your new book and uh, leadership, ministry, all kinds of stuff. I'm sure we're going to go all kinds of directions. So thanks for jumping on. Ryan, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited to jump in. I love this audience. I love the focus of this show. So um, I can't wait to be really specific and not so generic, like sometimes you have to be when you're talking leadership stuff. So uh, thank you. I'm honored. Yeah, Tom, I, I just remember uh, driving from Lancaster all the way through the desert, all the way to hang out with you guys a couple of times, do services with you guys. So always fun. And then uh, you were in the district office there in Southern California. So we'd love to kind of unpack that. But uh, I mean, from what I remember, right, you didn't really grow up in the church, right? So I mean, that's like a big shift for you. So talk about talk to us about that journey. Oh, massive shift. Yes. And uh, it might be it might be hard to know. Or if you saw me, I don't necessarily look like the picture of my upbringing, not intentionally or even my like. Let me just let me just say this up front. My my favorite kind of music is gangster rap music because I grew up in the hood. Right. I mean, I grew up very much so in the hood rough upbringing, did not go to church. I mean, the name Jesus was a swear word in our household for forever. And, um, you know, I talk a little bit about this in the book. First time I got high on drugs, seven years old, and I stole it from my dad. And my punishment was, uh, hey, 
boy, this was his words verbatim, boy, you don't steal from your old man. So it wasn't that I got high. It wasn't that I was doing drugs. It was like, find your own stash, find your own source, but you don't steal from me, dude. That's mine. So that was just kind of the upbringing and the normal, that was normal for us. It wasn't even chaos. It was just, that's, that was how we define normal. So yeah. Uh, so that going from that, what that, what that ultimately did was it made me a, a pretty good youth pastor because I could see, read those kids from a mile away. Um, I, I could just tell, you know, uh, because there was so much street in me, I could see it in them. And I'm like, Hey, you need to quit having sex. Hey, you need to quit doing drugs. What are you, what are you talking about? Pastor Tom? I'm like, Nope, doesn't, doesn't work for me. So uh, it, it is kind of funny. So as a district leader for, Southern California Assemblies of God is kind of funny. I'm like, I wonder if they know who the guy <laughs> is that they've put in leadership. Like, I don't really sure? have the Are you sure about this? Yeah, I don't really have the pedigree for this, you know. But you know, here we are as we just kind of walk through it, and uh, God God sets us up that way. Yeah, I love it. Incredible. I love it. I love it. So many journeys. I mean, I didn't grow up in the church either, you know, and so um, it's it's really awesome to see how God takes the, that journey in our life and uses it to, um, to help other people. Right. And so, uh, you know, your book would love for you to just kind of give us just real quick, just kind of a big, big overview. I know you're talking about wake awakening greatness inside of us. So just kind of give us a snapshot of the book. Yeah. So the, the elevator pitch, as I guess I would call it is, um, it's, it's a little bit of my story, right. And my rough upbringing again, drugs, chaos, blah, blah, blah. I, I actually became a Christ follower at the age of 14 while I was high on LSD acid that I got from a Grateful Dead show. I know that dates me a little bit, but um, uh, so that's at, that's at 14. So imagine all of the, and that was normal. So imagine all the chaos around that. Uh, so pretty much the book is, hey, we all have a story. We all have some crap in our life. And um, the truth of the matter is, Let's stop being a victim of our story and start being the victor of our story that God's still writing the script. And so here's how to take those ingredients and, and learn how to, the title of the book's The Life You're Meant to Lead. And essentially, both in myself and my family members and the people that I led in ministry, they would say, oh, I would have been so much further if my pastor hadn't or if my pastor had. I would have been further along if my parents hadn't or if my parents had. And the truth is we all have those kinds of stories in our life, no matter what our upbringing was. And it's like, wait, Tom is the life I'm meant to lead. I've got to lead myself through that. And so there, God's created us uniquely. That means, you know, we're created with greatness inside of us. There's no mistake about us. Um, even if there's things we'd like to change, God didn't make mistakes. He made us uniquely with greatness and a mission or a purpose to impact the world. So how do we lead ourselves to become that person with that purpose, doing what ultimately God designed when he imagined us? So that's that's what the 10 chapters in the book are about. I love it. So there's parents out there. There's youth pastors, kids pastors, uh, even lead pastors, right, that are looking at maybe their own kid, maybe kid in the youth ministry, kids ministry, that maybe – was you at 14. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, word of encouragement, word of advice for them, their kids just 
you know, going to Grateful Dead, right? Or whatever, yeah, like yeah. current current version of it, right? And kind of on drug, man, what, what advice, what hope, what, what encouragement would you give to that person? Yeah, there's, there's really two things I would say about that. First and foremost, I had a relentless youth pastor. I mean, I showed up and again, I don't know if they're listening or watching right now how we're recording this, but I showed up. I am, I, I am a Caucasian white guy, in case you're just wondering. I grew up in Northern California. In, we had the highest murder rate per capita of any city in California, more than Compton, more than L.A., you know, more than Boys in the Hood, if you saw that movie, or Colors, or whatever, whatever you want to think about. It was worse where we lived. And so the first time I showed up to church, I'm dealing drugs. I'm the center of the party. I'm like 13 years old. I've got chain necklaces around. I got rings on every finger. I literally look like a little white Mr. T. And, um, <laughs> and this youth pastor was relentless in seeing greatness in me. I didn't see it in myself. I was, ch- I was trying to chase pleasure and run away from pain. And he saw greatness in me. And so he would come up to me every week and say, Jesus loves you as a plan for your life. And this is what I would say. Every success that I've ever had in my life, it's because someone else saw the potential and greatness in me first. Even to like, we're talking today, like, okay, Tom wrote a book. That didn't happen because I just one day thought, oh, I should write a book. It was, there was some significant voices in my life. And it's like, you should write that book. What? I'm not an author. I'm just a kid from the ghetto or whatever. But it took those kinds of people that God brought along my path to see the potential and the greatness within me. I didn't see it in myself. They saw it in me first. And so I would just challenge anybody that's listening that they're in a unique position to, and they, they need the help of the Holy Spirit. They need the help of God's guidance to say, God, help me look past the behavior because there was nothing great about my behavior. I can tell you that much right now. Nothing great about my behavior. Can I look past the behavior and see the possibilities and see the greatness? Not that we excuse sin. I'm not ever suggesting that, oh, let's just cover that up and let's ignore that, you know, Tommy's sleeping around with some other girl on his shoulder here at youth group. I, um, our, the youth leadership team literally called me hormone because they didn't know my name. Right. That was, they were like, Hey, hormones would go over, over the radio. Hey, hormones on campus, all eyes and ears open. Let's watch for them. And it was like, but they looked past that behavior and saw the potential and the greatness. And so, um, I would just, I would just say that. And then the second thing, and this is probably if I were to step into local youth ministry all over again, something that I would be better at. I don't think, uh, you know, you mentioned the desert and coming over to Victorville. I was, I was the youth pastor in Victorville for almost five years. And, uh, you know, think about, I probably preached 42 to 48 sermons a year out of those five years. I don't think a single student remembers a word I said. Mm. I don't remember it. And I would be like, I would be less about the performance of ministry or the presentation of ministry and more about the opportunity of ministry, just creating a safe place for kids to fail. They're going to fail. I mean, that's the human story is that we all have failed somewhere. I mean, I I failed probably this week talking to my kids or, you know, something at job or work, right? It's just part of it. But can we make our ministries more about a safe place to fail where we can fumble around and who God has created us to be and wants us to be. And, and my greatest successes in ministry has been those kids who did terrible at that sermon or terrible at that song. And they were like, 
but it was you, Pastor Tom, who gave me a shot. Mm. It was you who believed in me. And it's like, yeah, you know what? I don't remember any sermons my youth pastor preached to me, but I certainly remember how much he loved me and the team loved me. So that would be the two things of encouragement that I would try to just give to everybody. When it so you talked about people reaching out, kind of calling the greatness out of you. I think a lot of times we got to feel, feel a little bit of that inside of ourselves before we can call it out in, in somebody else. Right. And so what would you say to that person that's maybe feeling a little bit inadequate, feeling over, over their head? You'd be like, man, who am I to to call the greatness out of somebody else? Or who am I, like you even said, like who am I to be the be an author? Who am I to be that, right? And so would you say to that person just kind of feeling inadequate, like, man, I, I can't really do all that? Yeah, you know what? I mean, not to get over spiritual. So I'll give the non I'll give a spiritual answer and a non-spiritual answer just so we can like be That's fair. real, you know, Sounds be fair, real and raw about it, right? So the spiritual truth of the matter is that it's our inadequacies that actually qualify us. That God doesn't want to use the people that should be doing it. He wants to use the people who should be doing it. And I don't I don't mean that like as in sinful. I just mean as in like qualities and quantities and you know, all the things that we paint in our mind as somebody who, oh, if, if I was a better speaker or better organized or better, if I had my stuff together better, if I if I actually read my Bible every single day instead of skipping a day or two, you know, or what, whatever the thing is that we just think really we're not adequate at spiritual leaders. It's like, yeah, God wants to use the dummy things in us to confound the wise, right? So mm. that's the that's the truth of the matter. And then the second thing is, um, and this this is even about the book, right? So I'll say this, the dream of writing a book happened in me in 2009, and I wrote the table of contents of what if, okay, Tom, if I'm going to write a book, these are the 10 things I want to talk about. And I wrote literally on a little notepad on my iPad, the table of contents, and then it stayed on the shelf for 10 years. And Ryan, if I'm being honest, the reason it stayed on the shelf was because I wanted to write a book in 2009 to be famous and significant. Mm. Right. I wanted to be popular and I wanted to be invited to all the conferences and conventions to be the speaker and be, whoa, you know, this famous guy. And it just every time I tried to write, I couldn't write. I was inadequate to write, blah, 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 blah. But when it started happening, when like the content really started to flow and it was like, hey, now we're taking action was when I was not intrigued by being famous or significant or important. But it was like, I actually have something where I can add value to people. And once I got that into an alignment in my heart, going, hey, there's greatness in me because of what God's done that can awaken greatness in others. That I really use the pitfalls of my journey, not the successes of my journey to try to awaken others. If you read the book, you'd be like, this guy's jacked up, <laughs> right? So I, there's not a lot of highlights that I bring out there. So it's a lot of pitfalls, you know what I mean? Because it was like, I'm not, I'm not trying to brag about who I am and what I did because that was really God covering up a ton of mistakes. So the truth of the matter is, if our motives, this is where I was going with the non-spiritual answer side of things. If our motives is to be significant, we're always going to be inadequate. Mm. If our motive is to awaken greatness, we're going to figure out, hey, there's some wisdom inside of us, probably because of our mistakes and our inadequacies where we fumbled around and got it wrong. There's some wisdom that we can impart to others. That's great. There's not a lot of wisdom being shared with people. There's, you know, there's lessons and there's things inside of us, not because we're great, but because we're not great. That's how we can use that to awaken greatness in others, if that makes sense. I love it. I love it. So 
you know, you talk about making some mistakes some drugs and all kinds of things. I mean, have you ever just, I'm sure you've had those nights where you're like, is someone going to find out about this, you know, and, and, uh, what happens if they do find out? Um, you know, uh, to be honest with you, I've been so open with my story. I haven't been worried about it from like a public persona standpoint, but, uh, where the insecurities on that and the question mark comes is that, um, yeah, I have two daughters, teenage daughters. My wife and I, we've been married, um, 21 years coming up on 22 years. So that's amazing. We have, we have an 18 year old daughter and a 14 year old daughter. And, uh, you just kind of like, mm, how much of my story do I want to tell them? Mm. Uh, like, what, if, what if they find out and how does that work? And, uh, honestly, <laughs> this is just my personality. So I don't know that this is something that people should do i'm just gonna tell you what i did and then take it for what it's worth is that i, I just kind of decided i'm gonna rebel against my fear mm. that my fear of being found out is to out myself first uh my fear of what my kids think of my story is i'm gonna celebrate jesus even more that i've i've told all of the perils and pitfalls of my story to my kids and go this is why daddy's radically in love with jesus because this is where I came. This is why Jesus is the center of our life. It's not because of church or where daddy gets his paycheck or because I have the title pastor. It's that this is why. Mm. And um, whether right or wrong or indifferent, I have some pretty remarkable kids. I think that's just Jesus making me look better than I am. And my wife being the awesome rock star that she is, but yeah. they at least have a good understanding as to why daddy is radically in love with Jesus and not radically in love with his job or radically in love with how much time I have to spend at church, but I'm just radically in love with Jesus. And I want everybody to know it kind of thing. So I rebelled against that fear. That, that was kind of my simple answer of that. But it's real. It's not that I haven't experienced it. I just had to choose how I responded to it. Just go right into it. Yeah. Just go. You know, I jumped out. I and it's my personality. I jumped out of an airplane. I went skydiving because I'm terrified of heights. Terrified. Now I'll never jump out of an airplane again because I couldn't feel my legs for 45 <laughs> minutes after I got to the ground. I mean, I was terrified. But like I just have embraced that idea of like I'm just gonna rebel against my fear and go, you know what? I'm going to look even more ridiculous than this. <laughs> you know, I think that's what David said to his wife, Michael of like, you know, who cares? All right. So you've been in leadership in the local church, um, leading at uh, district events, things like that for over 20 years. What are some of those things that have adjusted, changed uh, in yourself or even on more of a, a, a global national level? Yeah. Wow. I will say um, I've probably grown more as a leader than the people under me have grown under my leadership, to be honest with you. Um, the, the thing, okay, let me start this way. The things that haven't changed is the hunger to really see people come into their fullness. Mm. Um, it's just really amazing when that glow hits their face, that sparkle hits their eye and that confidence hit their, hits their spirit. That is like, wow, God did this. Um, I, I would say my greatest successes ha have been when I've made other people successful. And, and I talk a little bit about this in the book, not to keep referring to this, but it's really a passion of mine is that when I 
started to elevate in my leadership status or portfolio. I don't really know how to say a business way of saying that, but I was ranking up, right? That's, that's fair to say. Uh, I felt God really say to me, or, uh, or my commitment to God was the thing I'm going to do with my turn is make it other people's turn. Now I'm going to give the stage away, or I'm going to give the mic away. And what it's done is that it's made people go to bat for me, people more loyal to me. And I'm not even trying to, I'm trying to make other people famous or explore their gifts, but it was like, the more I gave away, the more I got um, in my, in my leadership capacity and my leadership role and bandwidth. And, and I have, I have incredible friends and, you know, ministry collaboratives and ministry counterparts that are like, it's because you didn't hog the limelight and leading from the shadows, leading from the sidelines is a very powerful influence and key to, uh, I, th I think back to what Jesus did when he fed the 5,000, he was like, you give them something to eat, you do it. And, and I just tried to, I just tried to model that, but I didn't do that all the time. I mean, early on, I was trying to be the guy I was trying to be the hero. And I'm, I found my lid pretty quick, you know, um, truth of the matter is I probably have the capacity to pastor 25 or 30 people crowd max. And, and I, I did a really good job. Anytime my groups outgrew that bringing it back down to my max, I did really good at like, Ooh, let's bring it back down. Not even intentional. Cause I was chasing success, but I just kept coming back down. And then when I decided to just start leading leaders and, and giving away that the limelight, if you will, or that stage, boom, things started growing exponentially. Um, and, and so to me, that would just be the greatest leadership lesson of how can you just make others succeed? Um, those would be your greatest successes, really. So we talked about kind of your your failures, your mistakes as a, as a kid, right? Drugs, alcohol, all that kind of stuff, right? But I'm sure along the journey of these 20 years, you've probably made a couple of mistakes and you even talked about some of those in the book. So Talk about some of those and how you've learned and maybe some suggestions on how we, uh, the listeners, can can learn from our mistakes in life. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that I've learned about myself and the human brain in general is that our, our brain does not like to think. I know that that sounds counterintuitive. Our brain likes to assume and jump to conclusions. That's what our brain is trying to be so automatic that it's like, oh, if this, then that. If this, then that. So if Ryan's looking at you this way, uh, then that means he feels this way about you. And that has gotten me into so much trouble. My brain has caused my mouth to move and my feet to move and my decision maker to move more quickly. And so um, I've gotten into so much trouble with that, whether it's with a boss or a parent or, uh, you know, I guess the age old, the age -old uh, narrative is the the pitfall between the kids pastor and the youth pastor, you know, kind of a thing, you know, cause we just are assuming, oh, well, if you're doing this now, now I'm going to assume your motives and I'm going to assume your, your agenda and your behavior and your attitude and all these kinds of things. And so one of my greatest lessons are, I, I actually was in a meeting yesterday and I wrote this down on, on the meeting agenda to myself. This was a note to Tom, ask more questions don't assume because I felt myself, I felt the tension building inside of me and I had to just 
get in my brain's way and go, nope, ask one more question before you respond. Just ask, just ask one more question before you pipe off. And, and maybe my brain is right to assume those things. You know, you know, maybe I've been around the, around the block enough times that the assumption is pretty accurate, but at least pausing and asking that question, one more question allows me to tone down my response to not throw more fuel on the fire, if you will. So uh, to me, I, I mean, the examples of times where I got heated arguments with my bosses were, which, you know, by God's grace, didn't get fired when maybe I should have, or, you know, those kinds of things, or with that parent, you know, or even with that student where you're just going, what, you know, kind of a thing. I mean, I, I got into a heated conversation with a parent getting off a bus. I was on a coming home from six flags the bus broke down we're now four hours late and then a parent's chewing me out in the parking lot and i was just like you need to get in your car now and leave you know kind of a thing where it was just like what are you and i'm like would one more question have helped me represent myself better and it's not even i mean we can justify it i had every right i had every reason i was tired i was grouchy nothing was going right there's a lot of reasonings but what's the story that we want to tell? You know, what's the story that we want to tell? One more question might help us with that. So I hope that answers your question <laughs> adequately. Yeah, it's great. It's great. So I know you're really passionate. One of those things that, that I know, just kind of knowing you for over a few years, one of those big things that I think that you've ran into headlong is your own personal health journey. Yeah. Um, and I know you're passionate about help helping other people with their health journey. So I uh, want to just kind of share a little bit about that journey. And maybe I know there's a lot of people that, you know, want to take back their health a little bit. So maybe just some, 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 what was that journey like for you? And maybe some, a couple words of encouragement. Yeah. Thanks so much for asking that question. So to, um, to give kind of like where I'm at and then some background and then some things moving forward, I'll just try to address that in three points. Cause that's what a good, sermon looks like but um to date i have lost uh just over 80 pounds um so for me that was like i, I tell people i lost a third grader to put that into perspective if you have a third grader they're probably somewhere around 80 pounds that's what i lost um and the moment of decision came because i had done every kind of diet atkins carbs are the enemies you know weight loss challenges all kinds of things but the the moment that made it stick was um, I was speaking at a large youth convention. There's thousands of kids. I'm talking to them about leading their communities, leading their school, leading their cities, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I caught a glimpse as I was kind of floating the crowd of myself on the jumbotron. And I didn't recognize myself or like what I saw. And a thought hit me and said, you're challenging these nearly 3000 students to go be leaders and you're not leading yourself. And I realized that physically I wasn't showing up giving my best. And um, I was, I was tired. I was more irritable, you know, all kinds of things. I, I was having some health symptoms. They weren't anything crazy, but like things like blood pressure, cholesterol, sleep apnea, just different things like that. Right. And so I was like, mm. I walked off the stage that day and I was like, I'm different from now on. I'm going to start leading myself. And it started with my health journey. And so I got a health coach, a nutritional health coach, started following a very tight structure. I needed somebody to tell me what the structure was because 
I like a checklist. So I got a, I got a plan that would give me a checklist. And I was like, boom, here's what I'm supposed to eat. Here's how I'm supposed to eat it. Here's when I'm supposed to eat it. And I don't have to think about it. Right. You know? So that's just how Tom's brain works. And so I started following that lost the 80 pounds and really in the process, um, I found all kinds of other areas, right. That the food and not leading myself in a lot of areas. I wasn't leading myself spiritually. I wasn't leading myself as a leader. Right. And it wasn't just nutritional and you know what I look like. I never, I'm not today. I wasn't then I'm not trying to chase a beach body or a physique type. Um, even though I live in a beach community, I don't hardly ever go. I'm sorry for those who don't and hate me for that. But, um, but I was trying to, I want to be the best version of myself because then I can give the best version of myself. Because one of the things I found out, uh, I mapped out my personal identity in the midst of all of this. I, I said, who, who is it that I want to be and become? And one of the things I said I wanted to be and become was ridiculously generous. And I kind of mapped out what that wanted to be, what that meant. It wasn't just money, but that means taking care of myself physically, nutritionally, um, fitness wise, so that I can be the best version of myself and show up and, and give the best version of myself to people, whether it's my wife, my kids, my family, the ministry. Um, and so it's been an incredible process. And the book kind of came out of, oh, how am I showing up and giving the best version of myself? I don't, I do talk a little bit about my health, but it's not a health book, right? So I don't want anybody to get misconstrued, but it awakened other things in me of what other possibilities was I not doing or exploring because my health kept getting in the way or I didn't have the bandwidth to do it. So it kind of awakened other things and other adventures that we're trying. So uh, that's, that's that. Love it. So talk about the book writing of the book journey, right? There's, I've, I've asked, I love to ask this question to people who've written a book. So talk about kind of that journey for you. Did you like follow a structure and outline or did you kind of like organically come together? Did you outsource things? What was kind of your process? Yeah. So uh, three things I would say, one was um, I, the book does pretty much look like that table of contents that I wrote in 2009. Um, I, I actually just stuck with that. So because of that, it already had given me the framework of here's the things I'd want to talk about. They pivoted because I've grown and uh, may I be so bold as to say matured, but at least developed, right? Um, so I, I, the table of contents definitely gave me a structure to follow of what it is that I wanted to say. But then the other thing that was like huge key for me was um, – and probably gave me some writer's block at first – instead of trying to write a book to the masses, I didn't write, I didn't write the book to the masses. I actually, uh, I visualized one single person sitting in a chair across the table from me and said, what would you say to that person? And that person actually knows who he is. And and I've, I've stated who that is, you know, kind of a thing to, to him. And it helped kind of just like when I talk about relationships and marriage, Uh, somebody who's been married for 10 or 15 or 20 years, I would talk about relationship and marriage very differently to somebody who is single, not yet married, maybe single and ready to mingle. Right. And so by just focusing on one single person, it helped me kind of really laser focus. Like, what is it that I want to say in this project? Now, the next project, uh, I'm going to figure out somebody different to sit in that chair. Um, But that was kind of my process. And I did, I did partner with somebody who who's helped partner with other authors and go, okay, help me find all the threads here because 
one, one of the things in the book that I talk about is that everybody needs a coach. We need to find a coach. And since I, I mean, if Michael Jordan, number one basketball player of all time during his day, he had Phil Jackson and he had a coach who was trying to bring the best. And I was like, I've never written a book, so I should hire a writing coach to help me through this process. And so I did have somebody come along and partner with, with me. Um, I'll tell you this. My wife has read the book more than 10 times. She, she can't see the coach's fingerprint. She's like, Oh, this is all Tom Hamill. So it's not, you know, it's all my content. It's not, it's not their content, but they just help me uh, make, make sense of it. Right. So. Yep. I love it. So many different ways of, of, of getting a book done and written because it's just such a feat uh, and it's so emotional uh, and so tough, especially a book like yours that where you are sharing so many personal stories and, and, and uh, miss failings or failures or whatever you're sharing so many of those it gets very emotional and very um taxing and i've heard you know some of the authors and even the book i wrote you're like man you just feel like kind of the weight of the words that you're saying um and even just kind of the pressure of like is anybody actually gonna care about this you know you're kind of like well you know so there's just all that at play there so tom i think uh, so grateful for you to, to fight through all of that, to do all the hard work, to lean straight into that, into uh, write this book. Um, such a helpful book, such great topic. Um, and like you said, um, it has a lot of different pieces of stories. And so it's not just a health book or just a ministry book or just a business. It's, it kind of covers a lot of different areas. So no matter where you're at in your life, um, you know, this book can help you. And so I want to encourage you guys all to go get it. So Tom, where do they get it? What's the best spot? Yeah. So it's on Amazon. Um, you can get all the links on our website and to like, I did bonus stuff that was not even in the book on a, on one of the seasons of the podcast. So R O U R our cultivated lives.com is the book and the podcast and those kinds of things. Or you could just search my name on Amazon and find it the life you're meant to lead by Tom Hamill. Um, so those are the places to get it. We're, we're actually exclusively on Amazon. So I'll let you know when you can go get it at Hobby Lobby, but in the meantime, Amazon is the place to pick it up. So thank you for that, Ryan. I appreciate it. Awesome guys. I want to encourage you guys connect with Tom, the podcast, the book blogs, all kinds of stuff. Great, great content coming out. Uh, pretty consistently. So I want to encourage you guys to connect with him. And uh, again, thanks guys for listening. We'll have a great episode for you coming up here real soon. So stay close, make sure to subscribe and like, and share this. Can't wait to be with you guys again here soon.